Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Listen as Pastor Michael Cox teaches on new wine and old wineskins. I'm excited today to share with you. I can tell I've already cut a lot into my time by that little injection I made into the worship. But that's okay. That was good. Really goes what in line with what I want to share today. Anyways, so let's jump right in. I just, let me start out by saying this. Uh, Padre Rick, Pastor Rick Bradbury, um, a spiritual father to Jahan and I, he married us along with my father and uh, just has been an amazing voice in our life over the years, told us a lot of great things, been our biggest cheerleader and he's told us some really hard things and been a hammer and a chisel in the hand of God in our life. And so that's what we need. We don't need people just to build us up and speak a bunch of positive things. We need somebody who's willing to tell us the truth, even when it hurts. And so we love this man. We cherish and value his words. I was trying to find a way to get him to come into our live stream I think it's possible. We'll research that a little bit more. I think it'd be cool to have some guests come in while we're doing this. Just be a little bit even more creative with it. But uh, is this going in now? Just me. Got it? Okay. Um, so he he just randomly, I uh, went and did a wedding yesterday, a small, intimate family gathering uh, with a beautiful couple, uh, Stephen and Michaela Sellers. And uh, it was a beautiful thing. Got them married yesterday. And so they had a big ceremony planned and have put that off. But we got the, the real nitty-gritty done yesterday. So it's good stuff. And uh, that was fun. I was gone from the church. And Padre Rick um, just felt like the Lord told him to come to Powell from Morristown and pray over our facility and over our church and he came and prayed over our coffee shop and over our future drive through coffee shop that we're trying to get open. And so he came and prayed over all those things. But he was specifically called me afterwards. And he's came and prayed and not even told me before. But he felt like he needed to tell me about this particular time and what he heard while he was standing on our new stage that we built. He's standing on it and looking out over the building. And... Uh, The Lord just spoke to him, and he told him that there's, you know, uh, the name of our campaign for this renovation is Make Room. Make more room, actually, right? Last year it was Make Room. We did some expansions. This year it's Make More Room. Next year it's going to be Make the Most Room, okay? And we're just going to keep making room. Um, But he came, and, and so he really didn't even know what we were doing, but but I think he talked with somebody there, and they said, yeah, this is our make room. And, and what the Lord spoke to him is, in our endeavor to make more room, what's actually going to happen is more things are going to leave. He specifically said, more things are going to leave our church, our facility physically, but also our body. More things are going to leave our body in this 
season, in this campaign to make more room, more things are going to leave than have left in the entirety of the history of the church combined. So that means there's a mass exodus taking place. So when we want to make more room, what really has to happen is an exodus has to take place of some things that were taking up room. And so it's so real, um, tangibly, physically, just put this picture up while you, while you got this too, and I don't know if you can get that at all, Michael, on the live stream. I know it might be hard to video the TV. But while he's standing on stage, he actually takes a picture, and he just thought it was so significant that we had left the doors open to air out the smell of our primer, our kilts, whatever it's called. And look, there's two brooms there and a door open and a bucket with water and a rag and a door open. And he said, this is just, this is a symbolic picture of what's happening. There's things that are being cleaned out. They're being cleaned out. They're being swept out. They're being evicted, okay? And they're being pushed out of this place. And so he didn't even know the details. So I began to share with him on the phone last night that, you know, it's, that's amazing. And I received that. And I can just sense so many things. And the Lord brought to my mind just spiritual things specifically that I believe are leaving assignments against the work, assignments against the body, okay? Those things are leaving. You want to hear some? Lack is leaving. Poverty mindsets are leaving. Lack will never be our problem at Redemption Life Church in Jesus' name, amen? Lack will never be our problem. We will never hoard we will never be self-preservationists. We will be ones that operate with a generous mindset. We will have more than enough. We will pour out. And so the mindsets of poverty and hoarding and self-preservation and lack that may have tormented people in the past are leaving. There's many things that are leaving in the spirit. So I begin to tell him, you know, what we're trying to do with our facility is make it a shell that can physically get as many people as possible in there to encounter the presence of God together. It's our vision statement, love God. We believe people can't love God unless they know how much God loves them and they encounter his presence and look into his eyes and it turns their heart of stone into a heart of flesh. Hearts of stone can't love God. And so we believe they have to encounter the love of God, the presence of God. And so I said, we're just, we're just, we're just stripping this place down. And, and unless the wall has to stand there, it's gone, right? Unless the wall has to be there for privacy in a bathroom, it's gone. So you know what we've got now pretty much? A foyer to hold people enough to get them before they can go in. And we have bathrooms and we have a sanctuary and we have a place for kids to meet and a few classrooms, but we have no offices We've taken out three offices in this renovation. There's not a single office anywhere on our campus at this point. And you know what? That affects staff. 
that might make things a little more difficult for us, but that's what we're about. We're about people. And so if we have to take on a little hardship to make it about people, wouldn't it be sad if we had an office complex that could not host the glory of God and could not bring people in to encounter his presence? What would we accomplish? A bunch of office work. Office work is important, but office work can be done in flexible situations, right? And so we've taken offices out. We've taken the kitchen out. Whoa, the kitchen, right? Kitchens are very important, especially in a church where people love to cook and host dinners. But how often do we cook and how often do we host dinners? And are there creative ways we can do that without utilizing main space that we need to host people and let them encounter him? So many things have left to make room for things to come. You can't, you can't have both. You can't have both. There's always somebody right now, an analytical thinker like me is like, you can build more room and you can have an office complex and you can have all that. Yes, you can. But you would still have to designate certain spaces for certain things. You can't do both in the same space. You can't have, you can't, you know, even if in your office, you've got to decide if it's going to be this or it's going to be this. Is this going to be a place where I work or is this going to be a place where I have a sandbox? I mean, it's got to be one or the other. And so for things to be how they're intended to be, things that are not intended to be have to stop being in the place of the things that are intended to be. Is that okay? Do you got that? Let's look at Mark chapter 2, verse 18. Mark chapter 2, verse 18. We'll start. We'll start there and we'll go through verse 22. One time, the disciples of John the baptizer and the Pharisees were fasting. So they came to Jesus and asked, Why is it that John's disciples and disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but your disciples are not? Don't you love it when people have questions like that? Why aren't you doing what you're doing exactly how I'm doing what I'm doing? Don't you know my way is the right way? I just love that, don't you? I want to lay hands on them, even in the middle of a corona pandemic, right? And so Jesus answered, How can the sons of the bridal chamber fast when the bridegroom is next to them? As long as the bridegroom is with them, they won't. But the days of fasting will come when the bridegroom is taken from them. And who would mend worn out? Let's just stop right there before we start in the next verse. This is not a lesson about fasting. This is a lesson about the Pharisees' methodology in everything. This is a bigger lesson. You know, we can't get, you know, when, when Jesus is speaking with the vastness of his speaking, so many times we just take him at a surface level. He's responding to a question about fasting, but he's speaking to the condition of their heart in every area of their life. You want to ask about questions about fasting? Let me tell you some answers about your whole jacked up situation, okay? And who would mend worn out clothing with new fabric? When the new cloth shrinks, it will rip making the tear 
worse than ever. And who would pour fresh new wine into an old wineskin? Eventually, the wine will ferment and make the wineskin burst, losing everything. The wine will be spilled and the wineskin ruined. Instead, the new wine is always poured into new wineskins. Now, I read a commentary this week, and let me just read straight from that. The comparison is a very apt one when we think of the properties of wine and wineskins. When wine is new, it is in a state of fermentation. Do you know what the state of fermentation is? It's when it gets its power. So if the wine is going to be powerful, it has to ferment. Okay? It is in a state of fermentation. It bubbles and expands as the fermentation gases are released. Fresh and pliable wineskins can absorb such expansion and slowly age with the wine until the fermentation process is complete. Okay? To put fresh wine into an old wineskin, however, is asking for trouble. The old wine skin has assumed a definite shape. The old wine skin has assumed a definite shape. The Pharisees had assumed a definite shape. Many people have assumed a definite shape when it comes to their relationship with God. It's assumed a definite shape and is no longer pliable. I don't want to be one that has assumed a definite shape and is no longer pliable because the wine that I hold will not be powerful wine. The condition of the wineskin prophesies to the power of the wine. It's contingent upon it. All right? It is fixed and somewhat brittle. Come on, can you get past the wineskin and just think about the conditions of our own hearts. Have you ever been fixed and unpliable? Has that position made you brittle and have crises of faith when things don't happen the way that you think they're supposed to happen? I'll use Jahan and I, since everybody else probably been holy all your little lives, as Kevin Wallace would say, and y'all don't have any stories to tell, but Jahan and I got a few stories about being set in a way that made us brittle, and when God was trying to pour new wine into our life, instead of it making us power, powerful and expanding, it made us broken and brittle because we couldn't understand what was happening. And we had a value on understanding and un- instead of a value on being. I remember times we thought God was speaking certain things about children, and children didn't come out the way we thought those children were going to be. We thought it was a girl, it was a boy. We thought it was twins, it was one. We thought they were going to live, and they died. And we 
had to decide if we were going to stick with our old wineskin or if we were going to go back to him and let him reshape and reform and we were going to let him take away what was old and give us what is new so that we could be prepared and ready to hold what he wanted to pour into us. See, God doesn't cause these situations, but he sure will use them to upgrade our wineskins. And I believe we're in a season where God wants to upgrade our wineskins so that we're not fixed, we're not assumed a position, and brittle to anything new he would want to pour in. Some people are so uptight. Since you're in your living rooms, let's just be a little bit laid back right now. Some people are so uptight about anything taking place that they didn't understand. That is going to be a miserable life. When Jesus said, greater things than I have done you will do, you're in trouble if you look to Jesus' life and say, well, that can't be right because I didn't see Jesus do it. You're actually contradicting what he said we were going to do. I know there possibly may be some crazy stuff that takes place. But I promise you, if you're fixed and brittle and conformed to a way of thinking, nothing crazy is going to take place because nothing powerful is going to take place. It's going to be predictable. It's going to be the same. And it's never going to change. He's not going to get better. He's not going to get sweeter every day because you already know how he is. You know who he's going to be. You know what can contain him. And you just give him a little leash to run around the yard in. And that's who you think God is. Honey, he's about to break your chain. The activity of new wine will stress it beyond its ability to yield. Wow. Will stress it beyond. Can you just think about this? What a beautiful commentary. Talking about a wineskin, but you just know it's talking. It reminds me of watching Caesar Milan. Here we go down a rabbit trail. Anybody ever watch Caesar Milan? He's the dog whisperer. I watch that show sometimes, and I see church people as them dogs. Caesar Milan psychoanalyzes them dogs and talks to those dogs in a way that makes him see things differently, right? And so I see this verse. We're talking about wineskin, but I think it's a beautiful job of making it what it's actually supposed to be, and it's supposed to be addressing the condition of our hearts. Well, the activity, the activity of the new wine... The activity of the new wine will stress, stress. You ever seen some church people that are stressed? When God is trying to do something new, the people who should be the most excited about him doing something fresh and new and powerful are the very ones that are freaking out because it stresses us past our ability to yield. There's nothing in the kingdom that should stress us past our ability to yield because we should be people that should be being renewed daily into a new wineskin, ready to contain whatever he pours out in that day. But when we try to fit what he wants to do, Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Quit meditating on the past. When we try to think we can predict and contain and don't yield ourselves to expansion, we get broken. 
it messes us up. We get bitter. We get offended. We get self-righteous. We start condemning people who are the oil, the, the, the wine is powerfully moving in, and we start trying to take shots at them because we feel convicted because of what's happening in their life, and it's not happening in our life. So instead of changing our wineskin, we try to condemn all the people that have new wineskins. We can't put new ideas into old mindsets. It won't happen. We can't get new results with old behaviors. Sometimes in our staff meetings, we have a rule. We have a blocking bowl in the middle. And if someone has an idea and you tell them why that idea won't work, then we make you put a dollar in the blocking bowl. Because we don't need everybody to tell us why stuff doesn't work. We need to say yes and if we do it, if we add this to it, it'll be even more powerful. Yes and if we add this to it, it'll be even more powerful. We don't need to critical think everything all the time. That's what they were doing. Why aren't you fasting? Are we a Pharisee or are we a disciple? Are we an old wineskin or are we a new? H. Day Beavis, hilarious name. I'll just say Bevis, okay? I don't know how you say it, but H. Day Bevis. <clears throat> Couldn't find out much information from him, but stumbled across some stuff from him this week as well, and he was out of the Wales, Welsh Revival in Wales. And he said this about this passage, you may contend yourselves with mere outward acts of reformation, but these are manifestly insufficient. You may contend yourself with mere outward acts of reformation, but these are manifestly insufficient. See, you can have an old wineskin that can't hold new wine, and nobody will be able to tell from the outside, but there's no new wine in the inside, and there's no power. It's a form of godliness, but denies the power inside. This is but a new piece of cloth on an old garment. This is the world's attempt to mend human nature. Christianity requires a new heart and a right spirit. You must be a partaker of the divine nature, a new creature in Christ Jesus. To be a Christian, the inner man must have its new attire. You must put off the old garment and put on the new. You must put on Christ Jesus the Lord and walk in him. Do not try to mend the old nature. Seek a new one. Old habits will not do for a new spirit, and yet we cling to them, or rather they cling to us. There is often little agreement between your principles and our practice. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Now, if anyone is enfolded into Christ, he has become an entirely new creation. All that is related to the old order has vanished. Behold, everything is fresh and new. Last quote I'm going to read, and it's a lengthy one, but it is just chock full of power and some contrasting points of the new and the old. And so I just want to read this. Christianity sets up a new kingdom, a kingdom within men, a reign over the spiritual in man. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. It publishes a new law and gives men a new commandment. 
Love is the fulfilling of the law. Christianity introduces us into a new Jerusalem. The Jerusalem, which is the mother of us all. Everything in the city is new. The temple is new. It is a spiritual temple. Spiritual men are building together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. What? Know you not that you're a temple of God. The altar is new. We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which served the tabernacle. The sacrifice is new. It is the offering up of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. The incense is new. The sacrifice of praise, even the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. The priesthood is new. We have a great high priest who has passed into the heavens for us, even Jesus, the Son of God. The way into the holiest is new. It is a new and living way consecrated for us. The worship is new. The hour has come when the character and not the scene of worship is everything. The song is new. We sing a new song. The ritualism is new. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision but a new creature. God sustains a new relation to us. He is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We come to God and say, Doubtless thou art our Father. Through Abraham, though Abraham be ignorant of us, and Israel acknowledge us not. It's doubtless that you're our Father. You're 100% our dad, even though Abraham don't know who we are, and Israel denies that we're a part of you. You're our Father. It's a new family. It's a new thing. Let's see where I was here. Christ is the mediator of the new covenant. The days have come when God has made a new covenant with man. The spirit is new. Even the comforter proceedeth from the Father and the Son. The gospel is new. God has spoken to us by his Son. The phraseology is new. We preach Christ crucified. The symbolism is new, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Since everything in Christianity is new, we must offer, we must ourselves be new. We must be born again. There we must, there must be a passage from death to life. The life we live in the flesh must be a new life. Old things must pass away and all things must become new. This is a brand new kingdom. The old way of thinking will not sustain us. Look at everything that's been made new. We cannot honor a temple because we are the temple. If we honor a building, then we'll, you can't honor a building as the presence of God in the house of God and believe that you're the house of God. You can't do both. What is the house of God? And if you believe it's one, I've heard people say, man, you're lying in church. Well, if your mouth is attached to your body, wherever you lie, you're lying in the house of God because you're his temple. And so religious and old mindsets does not make us yield fully to the spirit of God. It allows us to get by with some technicalities. Some people say, man, you want to do away with the law because you want to be free. Listen, being in covenant with God will take you a lot deeper in consecration than the law ever could possible. But you'll do it because you love God and not because you're bound by law. 
the virtue of it will be so much greater. Hand me that Snuggie real quick. I've got to cut out the majority of my sermon. I'm already sweating and I'm about to put on a Snuggie. A leopard Snuggie, by the way. Beautiful. Leopard, yeah, get me with a leopard snake. That's beautiful. Which way? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I'm sorry. To this moment in my life, see, all things are new. I've never worn a snuggie, obviously. My life's about to change. Am I going to probably want to borrow this every day and every night? I doubt it because I'm hot-natured. All right, is this proper Snuggie wearing procedure? All right, oh my gosh, that's even better. Every day gets sweeter, every day gets better. I'm wearing my Snuggie, feel so warm and cozy. Anyway. There's nine other people here, and not one person thought that was good. So I bet you at home really didn't like that. So anyway, that's, a, that's okay. Oh, they were just being aware that we were on live stream. They didn't want to laugh too loud. Okay. I got you. Oh, my goodness, if I had time. If I had time, I'd want to talk about how many things and how Romans 6 says we have to be buried with him in the likeness of his death if we want to be raised with him in the likeness of his resurrection. So many of us want to be raised with him in the likeness of his resurrection, and we want to skip the dying with him in the likeness of his death. See, we're supposed to have the same mind in us that was in him, Philippians 2. You know what mind was in him? Obedience. Obedience even unto death. Right? And then after death... He was raised and given a name above every other name. And when we have that same mind in us, God wants to raise us up so that we're a light into a perverse generation. God wants to set the church in a place to shine bright. I believe this is an hour and this is a season. You know, I keep cursing coronavirus. And I, I, I can't say theologically how it works, but I still curse coronavirus. But I do say this to the Lord. If coronavirus left tomorrow and we miss an opportunity to become the church you've called us to be, then let it stay another day. He didn't send coronavirus. It's not from God. But if he's using it to do something in us, if he is, if he is moving in the body, and if he, is, if he is saying, hey, I see your play, watch this. I'm going to make it backfire on you, right? Reminiscent of being crucified on a cross and making it backfire yeah. on the adversary. Jeez, God didn't kill his own son. But he let it be to bring redemption to us. And he didn't send corona. But if it'll position the church into a place to embrace the new wine then I say, so be it. And I want to curse it, and I'm going to believe God to curse it, and so I want an expect, 
expedited transformation to take place in the church. I want us to get it and get it quick. I want us to let some things die. I want us to throw some old wineskins away. And I want us to make room for the new wine. I want us to make room for the wine that's gaining power. It's fermenting. And it's increasing. Instead of some old, stale, rotten, used-to-be-powerful wine that we can perfectly predict and perfectly contain, I want some new wine. I want some new wine, and I know what it takes to have new wine. I've got to have a new Michael if I want to have a new wine. There's got to be a new Jahan if we're going to have new wine. I've got to have new children if they're going to hold new wine. I've got to teach my children to yield to a place that the Spirit can operate and move in their life. I don't want to teach them religious forms and equations and functions and formulas. I want to teach them to rely on the Spirit of God to fill their lives and to condition them. See, one takes the wine and attempts to form the wine to contain it. The other says, here I am, put the wine in me, and I'll become whatever I need to become to be a carrier of that wine. And so I want to be one that says, here I am, do whatever you need to be do in me to make me a carrier of the wine. In Mark chapter 10, verse 46, Then they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus, the Nazarene, he began to cry out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Verse 49. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him here. So they called the blind man, saying to him, Take courage, stand up, he's calling for you. All Jesus said was, Come here, get him. He didn't tell him what to do. Okay? So... Verse 50, throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus and answering him, Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the road. There's a couple of things in this story. Many of you have heard this. Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. You know what Bartimaeus means? Son of Timaeus. What an exciting name. Bartimaeus means son of Timaeus in the Greek. But Timaei in Aramaic means highly prized or esteemed. The Greek translation, transliteration is Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, which is somewhat confusing since the name Bartimaeus means son of Timaeus. The Arabic the Aramaic is to be preferred for Timaeus sorry, spoke Aramaic when he cried out to Jesus. For rabbi, master teacher, is an Aramaic title of respect. So Bartimaeus was actually speaking Aramaic. 
So his name, you don't speak Aramaic and have a name that's not Aramaic. So we can't translate Bartimaeus' name in Greek. We need to translate it in Aramaic. All right? And Aramaic is highly prized or esteemed. So I believe we see the church sitting on the side of the road blind. And now it's all coming together because we don't have eyes to see who he really is. Because we're fixed and brittle. We walk around him every day unlike the four seraphims. We go around him every day and don't see his holiness. We've become blind and insensitive to who he is. And we're sitting there blind because we've put our reliance on the systems of man. Bartimaeus Timei, highly prized, is wearing a cloak of a beggar. In those days, a cloak, actually in many uh, cultures, the cloak was something you had to have. It was like a license to beg alms. So it was his badge of beggarism. It says, I have a right to beg. I am submitted to man's way of gaining wealth. And every time I wear this shows that I put my trust and my confidence in the system of man to get what I need and to be provided for. So Jesus comes and he doesn't see a beggar, but he sees a highly prized and esteemed one. And he calls him to himself. And I believe Jesus is calling us to himself in this season right now. We have become so, every one of us, myself included, we have so much confidence in the systems of this world. And you can tell how much your confidence is in them when they're shaken. How much does it leave you scurrying around like an orphan, like a heathen? How much different do we look? It doesn't matter if you still wear your Christian t-shirt. It doesn't matter if you still tune in to the live stream. Only you know the condition of your heart. Only you know if you're racked with anxiety and having a hard time sleeping at night because you're full of fear because a little bit of the world's systems have been shaken. What is our confidence built on? This wineskin talking about religious things. But we've got wineskins that are formed by the procedures of the world. We've come to have expectations based on so many things other than him and him alone. Our life is shaped by so many other influences. And therefore it can be shaken by so many other influences. It is a time for the church to get back to their sole reliance on him. As the author and the finisher of our faith. It's time for us to get back to our vision of him as being our provider, our sustainer. The same yesterday, today, and forever. Like David, I was young and now I'm old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken. And I've never seen their seed begging for bread. And so, Bartimaeus responds. One other thing. Beautiful. When it says... Real quick, when it says your faith has made you well, you know what the Greek word for that is? Sozo. Your faith has made you sozo. 
Your faith has made you delivered, saved, restored, healed, rescued, preserved, and made whole. Not just my eyes got fixed so I could do better in the system I was in. So Jesus spoke and said, come to me. Bartimaeus made a decision by faith. Before he ever got to Jesus, and Jesus said, okay, let's sit down and talk about this. If I give you this, 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 and this, will you surrender your cloak? Can we barter you out of your cloak? Will you see the hand that I want to deal you, and then you can weigh it with what the world's going to give you, and you can make a decision if my way's better? To may I, the highly prized and esteemed one, just by his voice calling him to him, let faith rise up in him, and he threw off his beggar's garment. He threw off that identity. He threw off all of that that defined him and that he had confidence in. And Jesus restored him. I was thinking earlier today when I was trying to get this Snuggie, I may be out of date. There may be faster runners, and I, this may be from when I was, but what is it, Usain Bolt? Is that his name? Is he still the fastest man or something in the world? Usain Bolt? He's one of the fastest men in the world, probably even now. Even if he's 50, he can probably whip most of us, right? You ever seen Usain Bolt running a Snuggie? You ever seen him run in a Snuggie? Hebrews 12 says, Let us throw, aside, throw off every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, this is the only way. Okay, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. The only way we can run without a snuggie of the world encumbering us is fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, putting our confidence and our hope in him. As soon as we have confidence in the things of the world, we're putting on a snuggie and we're trying to run. Us Usain Bolt running in a snuggie I don't care if he's the fastest man in the world. It would not be pretty. About three steps in, you step on, you step on the hem of your Snuggie and you face plant, right? I know it's funny, but many people watching this keep face planting because you keep stepping on the hem of your Snuggie. You keep putting all your faith in the world and it keeps causing you to face plant because you can't run with your confidence in the world. True. It'll constantly be a hindrance. I saw this picture today of people in their living rooms wearing Snuggies. Literally, not spiritually, okay? Okay. This is not you pitiful people wearing Snuggies. But literally, comfortably, okay, one of the benefits of this current season that we're in, I want to see everybody, I want to be together, but if I want to focus on the positive, well, y'all focus on the positive. I'm still here. I'm wearing the same clothes I always wear, okay? But y'all are at home. You might be in a Snuggie right now. You might be in your pajamas, okay? And I'm just seeing that 
This season of the people of God sitting at home in Snuggies, okay? Figuratively, metaphorically, this is a season of mandated Snuggie wearing. Are you with me? Take away the negative connotation for just a minute. Just in the physical. This is a season, sounds so crazy. You know, when somebody says, have a nice day, I used to joke and say, don't tell me what to do. So let me get this straight. The government says, stay at your house and lay on your couch and watch TV. Don't tell me what to do. It's, in theory, a beautiful scenario, right? You take two weeks of vacation off sometimes or a week of vacation or a few days off vacation and go away with your family to spend time with them. Now the government is saying, hey, Stay in your house, spend time with your family, and don't work. Oh, don't tell me what to do. By the way, we're going to pay you to do that. I don't know all about this stimulus package, but I think it's going to help some people. I hope it does. I hope it helps small businesses, and I hope in a way that it eases any of the stress. But that's the government, okay? The government is not the final answer on our provision. But I'm just saying figuratively, can you be with me for just a minute? how God can be in the midst of this situation. So here we are. Seemingly, the government is working for God. Isn't that a beautiful change? Seemingly, God's actually doing what he says in Romans 8. He's making all things work together for our good. Even a virus and a quarantine, God is putting his people on couches and snuggies. And in the flesh, he's giving them rest. So in the spirit, they can put on their onesie and be the fastest men in the world. See, because before this, we were out in the world and we thought we were dressed to run. But actually, when you're running in the world, in the spirit, it's a Snuggie. And when you're at a Snuggie in the world, it's actually running outfit in the spirit. Are you with me? When you rest, that's the most stealth you can ever be in running. And when you run, that's the most labored and cumbersome you can ever be in running in the spirit. Are you with me? Does that make any sense whatsoever? So while we're mandated to rest in the flesh and wear Snuggies, let's in the spirit take that time to recalibrate, to refocus, to realize that all those things we were running after and now we can't run after them because they said we can't run after them. I'm sitting here in a Snuggie. This is unsuccessful, unproductive. But being productive in the kingdom can't be defined by whether you're at home or at work. Being productive in the kingdom can't be defined whether you're sick or you're healthy. It can't be defined by those things. You can always move forward in the kingdom. So if we waste time in the Snuggie and don't put on our running shoes and our outfit, then when we are able to get out of the Snuggie, we'll be still in the Snuggie in the world. I hope somehow all this Snuggie talk has made some kind of sense today. Can I just be the only one if nobody else? I admit, I feel like I've been wearing a Snuggie in the spirit half the time. I've mixed things up. 
I've diluted things. I've put a little bit of faith here and a little bit of faith here, even in doing good things, even in trying to accomplish good works. I've let some of my affection and some of my hope and some of my confidence be in man. And I tell you what, he's just taking me back to my first love. What happens when giving is less than half of what it normally is? Well, I have to go back like when I trusted God when we started. And it was a church plant, and we were trying to renovate the storefront. And he told me to get up at 7 o'clock every morning, take a lawn chair, and go sit in the middle of the floor. And he would send provision to do the work we needed to do to accomplish that renovation. And multiple times, I go sit in that chair. I needed $327 to put handicap bars in the bathroom of our 44-seat little makeshift sanctuary in a storefront classroom. A woman drove from Chattanooga with a check written to have piano lessons for her daughter with Shahan. Said, the Lord told me to write this check for $327 because you guys needed it. John called me, I ran by the house, I picked it up, I went and bought the bars, and I went and hung them that day. And that was what I accomplished that day. But it started by going and waiting on God. And there's nothing about this season that should rob you from the ability to wait on God in your snuggie. Quit being in such a hurry to put the world's snuggie back on and get out and do their thing. You either wear a spiritual snuggie or a worldly snuggie. I guarantee you I got everybody successfully confused at this point. Another day I needed fire exit, exit signs, 200 and something dollars. That 327 is not an actual number. I can't remember what the actual number was, but it was the actual number. It was $330. One day I needed exit signs, and the Lord just said, you go every day until the work's done and go sit and wait and watch. What happens now when, man, I needed a total of like, $2,000 to do that whole thing. And that seemed like a mountain. This renovation we're doing now, I need $60,000. And almost all of it got pledged. So, woohoo! Don't need faith. Everybody pledged it. Amen. Well, what happens when people get laid off and pledges don't come in? Now, all of a sudden, what am I going to do? Same thing you always do. Just look for him to show up. Yeah. I was at a point last night at the church. Man, what am I going to do? We're so short. I don't want to lay off one staff member. I don't want to do anything. If somebody came to the church, walked in the sanctuary and said, I heard you're like $20,000 short on your renovation budget. Would it help you if I gave you half of that tonight? wrote me a check. Someone hadn't been to our church in months. Guys, it seems radical, but it's the only way to live. If we've learned anything in this season, have we not learned that trusting in anything else can be gone? Do you not understand that in this world, all we got to do is put on social media that Popeye's chicken sandwich is better than Chick-fil-A's chicken sandwich, and all of a sudden, Popeye's can't even keep up with the demand of their chicken sandwich. The masses is swayed by whatever information they receive. If somebody says we're out of toilet paper, you won't be able to find toilet paper in any store for six months. 
because we're gullible and we're afraid and we're hyperactive, but that shouldn't be the church. I want to I live with such confidence and such peace that if I'm 20,000 short or 2,000 short or $2 short, my expectancy is exactly the same. Would anybody sit around if they were $2 short on a $60,000 budget and say, man, I guess we're going to call it off? What's the difference with God? What's the difference in your situation today? Nothing. Nothing is impossible. You take all impossibilities and make a memory of it. Love little prophetic song Logan started singing one day here. You take all impossibilities and make a memory of it for us. But we have to be people that lets some things die. Yes. We're trying to be incubated long enough to let this virus die before it can be contagious. Let's let the dependency on the systems of the world die in quarantine. And let's come back out of our homes, God. Let's come back out of our homes full of new wine. Let's come back out of our homes as people who's made more room and has pushed some other things out. And we've filled our homes and our families with new wine that's powerful and bubbling and fermenting and increasing. But we have got to let the incubation period die. We've got to let our everyday need for a fix from some other source die. And I say, so be it, die. Because I want to be raised with him in the likeness of his resurrection. And I understand I must die with him in the likeness of his death. And I say, does anybody want to say with me, whatever it takes in this season, don't let me miss one aspect of your nature that's available for me to behold. And let me be entirely yielded to be a vessel that can contain all that you want to pour out in my life and through my life. Let every addiction and expectation die. In Jesus' name. I was going to read a verse there. I don't remember the exact address of it. Let me just close with this for the fifth time. Hasn't the time been enough for us to live in the way that we've been living? And it talks about debauchery and a lot of things. And a lot of us would just say, yeah, we don't do debauchery. We don't do all this, blah, blah, blah. That's cool. I'm not doing all that stuff. But it says demons, worshiping demons and idol worship. You've already spent enough time in doing what unbelievers love to do. Living in debauchery, sensuality, partying, drunkenness, and wild parties, and the worship of demons. We've worshipped demons when we've built idols out of our expectations of the world being our provider. It keeps on going to say, man, they're going to marvel. Look at the next verse. They marvel that you no longer rush to join them in the excesses of their corrupt lifestyles, and so they vilify you. 
I dare you to come out of your house in such a way that makes you guilty of being one that's rejected by society. Makes you weird enough that people vilify you because you don't join them in their demon worship. You don't join them in their race to the finish line of snuggyhood. But you're actually running a real race. And you're looking to the author and the finisher of your race. And you're not like one that beats against the air, but you beat your body into submission so that it can be yielded to contain and hold the new wine of the Spirit of God. We love you, Lord. We thank you. <laughs> and all of this stuff that seems heavy and like, oh, man, do we really got to do all that stuff? It is such a gift and such an opportunity that you would actually make to, available to us a more powerful wine. <laughs> Let us get our perspective right to where we ch rush headlong into this thing, where all we want is more of you, where all we want is the peace that comes from being in touch with you and in connection with you. Make us carriers of new wine. Make us pliable, unbrittle, unfixed, unresistant. In Jesus' name, we yield. Amen, amen, amen. Love you guys. Tune in if you're youth. Uh, Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. Um, you can figure out how to do that on their Facebook page. Life Kids, check them out there. Adults, we'll see you Wednesday night, 8 o'clock. We'll let you know about next Sunday. Love you. Let's end it the way we always end it. Peace out. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Be sure to stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Redemption Life.